Hi, uh, yeah, Frank H is speaking for us today uh, from Whitby Free Tinkers, lovely man. And uh, yeah, Frank, go ahead, sir. Okay, thank you, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, thank you uh, for hosting the, the meeting. Um, Frank, uh, alcoholic, hell of a time saying that at one time. Would be free thinkers, would be Ontario. Um, the accent you hear is not Canadian, obviously. I was born and raised in the Kingdom of Fife on the east coast of Scotland. Um, father was a coal miner, mother was a homemaker. Um, it was interesting upbringing because it plays a part in why I could not reach out for help later in life when addiction struck. Um, it was a type of wee town, coal mining, hard men, um, any discussion of feelings or weakness was usually um, resulted in criticism or violence towards the person that was showing the weakness. Uh, no encouragement to ask for help, um, be independent, that type of thing. And also, the word alcoholic was never used. I remember my mother occasionally saying, yeah, he likes a good drink, which I think was some sort of code for, oh, he drinks too much. Anyway, 1975, me and my lovely wife, who you might have just seen scoot behind me, we immigrated to Canada. Coming to Canada was a great thing. Uh, coming to being a new immigrant is tough. Um, had to work very hard, very independently. Um, I want to jump forward now from 1975 to the year 2000. When I look back, uh, between that years, from 75 to 2000, alcohol was not a problem. Like, I enjoyed alcohol. It was fun. I had a lot of fun with it over the years. It was always part of my life. It was part of our lives. It was part of no, but there was no any issues, no police, no domestics, no drunk driving, nothing. I had got work with a large corporation in Ontario. I was doing very well. When I look back in the year 2000, two children, two grandchildren, I now have five, lovely home. I had four Harley Davidsons, believe it or not. Uh, two cars, everything was looking good. What changed in 2000 was I moved into management in the company that I was working for. And what changed, I know looking back in it, was a bit of ego started to develop and also work work-life balance. I could see it now. At the time, I wouldn't have. But um, my my life started to change. Um, I started managing a large group of people. Um, I became the Mr. Fix-It at work. I became the... I was already the patriarch of the family 
the person you went to when you needed help or you needed an answer. Um, so the ego part of me started to build. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the um, the the Mister Fix It um, kind of label at work and at home. Some and I fell into easily, so the work life balance started to slip. So there's more and more work getting involved in my life. That was the year two thousand. So if you jump forward to year 2008, uh, I've reached a stage now where I'm managing a large group of people, 230 people roughly. I'm on call 24-7. My work-life balance has reached a bad state, so there's virtually no uh, play part. It's work, sleep, to work. Because I'm on call a lot, I'm not drinking a lot, but I'm starting at night to drink every single day a glass of spirits to help me calm down to go to bed. That was in 2008. I'd been building over 2000 to 2008. Um, still no serious issues with alcohol, um, but every night a glass of whatever I used to was drinking, spirits, to help me sleep. I was up early. Um, that 2008, between 2008 and 2012, my responsibilities at work, my ego built again because I was given even more responsibility, more, more uh, accountability, um, what life balance was done. I was sleeping basically enough to allow me to work. The drinking at night had went, still at nine o'clock at night, had went to a fairly large tumbler of spirits. Because don't you know, I deserved it because I was doing all these things at work. I was the man. The ego was, if you'd have met me around about that time, my head was so freaking big, you would never have got me in. I'm surprised it stayed on my shoulders. It was so large. Uh, very opinionated, very judgmental, very dogmatic. Um, so life moves on. In 2012, I damn well retired. We had a great year. We did a lot of things. There were big honours to the company I worked for. I was part of that. So I went from a high of being the man to cutting the grass. Uh, when I look back at it now, that was a disastrous time for me. Um, the nine o'clock drink that I used to have, which was a rather large tumbler, became a seven o'clock drink, became a five o'clock drink. I can see now at that time that what I became, and I, I'm ashamed to admit it, was a manipulative, cunning, 
closet drinking lying son of a bitch during that time from 2012 um my use of alcohol over that period of time accelerated rapidly um i was consuming alcohol a considerable amount um i'm not proud of it i had the amazing ability to consume alcohol uh like a half bottle of vodka before lunch and be quite coherent quite able to continue conversations um not proud of it but that's the way it was um my wife had no idea this was going on she um she only saw the nine o'clock right um it was weird how i my ability at the time to consume alcohol in quite large quantities and hide it from everybody obviously you can't hide it forever so around about the end of 2013, I mean, I retired in 2012, 2000, now by the time 2013 comes around, I'm actually getting up to have a drink at three o'clock in the morning, something like that, to go back to sleep, drinking in first thing in the morning and so on. So around the end of 2013, my wife, obviously the addiction is, starting to show both physically and mentally. He drags my ass down to the doctor and he asked me, of course, am I drinking? And of course, being a good alcoholic, I freaking lie. So my wife was in the, in the room with me. She says, no, he's not drinking much once a night. So uh, he puts me in a drug called Wellbutrin. Wellbutrin is an interesting drug. You're not supposed to drink on our Wellbutrin. But you see, none of that applies to Frank, you see. Because Frank is Mr. Fix-It. None's ever going to hurt Mr. Frank. He's a strong guy. He's an independent guy. So he takes Wellbutrin and take, keeps drinking at a fairly steady pace. So the, the drug Wellbutrin plus alcohol, I'm starting to fall down a few times. Uh, nobody, I didn't, and again, I'm still... Still drinking in the closet, still hiding it. <clears throat> so in around March 21st, I think it was, Sunday, um, I went to bed early, got up during the night to go to the bathroom and had the first of four grandma seizures. So if you see a grandma seizure, probably one of the scariest things for a human being to go through. Um, I was in the bathroom, en suite, uh, I chewed my mouth, my tongue, I was in grandma seizure, my wife heard me, she got up, obviously frightened the hell out of her, um, put me in a kind of recovery state, um, called 911. I had a second grandma seizure at that time, um, and did some more damage. When the paramedics arrived, while well, they were taking me down the stair in the gurney, I had a third grandma seizure. Uh, when they got me to the hospital, my wife was outside the examination room. 
and I had a fourth grammar seizure. And during that time, the doctors, she heard them say, we're losing them, we're losing them. And at that time, they intubated me, which is where they put a tube down your throat. And in the process of doing that, which is understandable, there was a rather rush. They ripped my vocal cords. Hence, I have this kind of raspy voice. Um, and I went into a nine-day coma. I went into a coma. They didn't put me in a coma. I went into a coma. Of course, they didn't know why it happened. Um, so they did all kinds of tests. My wife had been in the stayed in the hospital. After three days, all the machines you see people. I've got a picture of myself lying in hospital, hooked up to all kinds of bloody machines, and all the machines were telling me, "This guy is done. He's he's dead. There's no brainwaves. He's dead." So they call my family together and basically ask, "Would you like to unplug?" Now, fortunately. They'd say they chose no at the time, otherwise Marty would be looking for another bloody speaker today. Um, they gave me a bit more time. My wife went home at that time, and obviously there was a bit of mess in the bathroom. She went downstairs in my workshop where I used to hide all my my do my drinking. And uh, when she was work, doing getting some stuff, she disturbed something and out. From the ceiling, dropped a bottle of vodka, empty, of course. So the jig was up. So she went up in the ceiling, the suspended ceiling. I think she took down 38 bottles at that time. There's a total of 50-odd bottles found in the house. And actually, we moved out of that house about 18 months ago. We were still finding the fucking things, believe it or not. So the jig was up. So just as well, I was in hospital. Because she was a Scottish lady, she has uh, obviously the Scottish temper and the Scottish temperament. She had killed me for sure. So I was lucky I was in the hospital. After about eight or nine days, nine, eight days, I started to show some signs of reviving. When I woke up, I could neither speak nor hold a cup in two hands nor walk. I was bent over. I had a, what we called a Zimmer frame in Scotland, walking frame. Bent over like a half-shot knife. And uh, I remember my family sitting at the bottom of my bedside and I'm asking when I'm coming home. And my daughter, who is very like me, very strong-willed, she turned around and says, you're not coming home, you're an alcoholic. You're going in treatment. I was so angry at them, I wouldn't speak to them. I mean, I just recovered for God's sake, I would not speak to them. So freaking angry. After a couple of days, my son took me to a treatment center, the first of many. I still wasn't an alcoholic in my mind. Didn't want anything to do with it. That was my first exposure to AA in the treatment center. So for the next three years, from 2017, sorry, 14, to 2017 in June 9th, I persisted with the delusion and the denial uh, of trying to drink. 
during that time, I spent six periods of in-house treatment, totally 26 weeks at various rehab locations, uh, three aftercare programs. I was in the psychiatry ward for seven days. I was twice form one, which is where they commit you to psychiatry ward. And if you run away, the police come after you. I was declared missing twice, handcuffed. I was found by the police. I had my license twice, my driver's license, twice medically removed. And so it goes on and on and on. The, the list is a full page for three years. Um, I actually was going in and out of AA. I was calling you lot AA Nazis, saying it was a cult. I was going to AA, taking a bottle of booze with me in my bicycle bags. I was kind of trying to, I don't know what I was doing. My brain was shot. In the last eight months of that three-year period, I was in a shitty little basement apartment because my family had given up. And um, I was being visited. I was just drinking a bottle of vodka every single day. My family had a personal support worker come visit me two or three times a day to see if I was still alive because nobody wanted to find me dead. Funnily enough, during that three-year period, I had read a, I had some periods of sobriety, but in one of the periods, I read this book, and again, I only read what I wanted to read, what I wanted to read into anything I read, that the brain can heal itself. So I thought, okay, if I don't drink for a freaking year, my brain will heal. I cure this freaking addiction shit. Because, you know, I thought there's God. I can't, my Mr. Fix-It brain, my ego could not believe that I let harm to myself. And I couldn't believe there wasn't a way out. I kept thinking there's got to be a way out. So I stopped drinking. This was during this three-year this three period. I was still at home. I stopped drinking. And this part is kind of interesting because Stop drinking. I, I made sure I didn't drink for 10 months. The purpose was I thought my brain's going to heal. So after 10 months, my wife and I went to the Bahamas, like strip. I knew I was going to drink in the Bahamas. We got there late Friday. We, uh, we went down to the bar. I got a drink for her and I got a drink for me. I had, uh, I think it was a Roman coat. Had that drink. We went to bed. I said, that's it. Freaking cure. I've done it. I've done it. I'm fine. I'm done it. I'm out of this shit. So the next morning, we had a face in the ocean room. I said, I'm going to go. It's five o'clock in the morning. I go down and I get two coffees. Guess what? The only bloody place home to get coffee is the bar. 24-hour bar. So I walk into the bar. I said to the gentleman there, I said, give me two cups of coffee. Oh, and by the way, give me a glass of vodka. 
He looks at me like I'm freaking crazy, which I am. Pours me a big tumbler of straight vodka. I down it. I disappeared for two days. My wife finds me two days later on the beach, on a chair, passed out. My wallet is on my chest, empty. The first of those two days was my wife's birthday. The second day was our anniversary. So coming home in the plane was very, very strained, as you can imagine. And again, I got chucked back into treatment because my family just, they would throw me back into treatment thinking that was the solution. We actually spent $100,000 on treatment, 28 weeks in in-house treatments and various treatment centers around Ontario. So the last eight months, as I say, I was in drinking my head off in a basement apartment. And I don't know how, somehow I reached out and my daughter arranged me to go back into treatment. This would be the sixth time I worked into that treatment center. It was in June 9th, 2017, at 11 o'clock. And I walked in and there wasn't a soul there. It was really weird. Normally they're very busy. And I looked around and I thought, is this going to be it? Is this going to be your fucking life? You'd... Is this it? And I said, no, that's it. So I think they talk about a turning point in the book. Big book there. So that was my turning point. Surrender, call it what you want, I don't care. You know, gave up, I don't know. Um, and I decided I needed freaking help. So what did I do? I came to AA, because I know you guys do. I, I, I'd got enough from the previous book, stuff with AA. And I knew there was, a, there was help here. I got a psychiatrist. I got a therapist. I got put on medication for anxiety and depression. I got regular meetings with a therapist. I got a sponsor. I started coming to AA. I kept my world really small. I moved out of share a little basement apartment, come and sell a nice place. I kept my world small for a year. I did nothing but go to AA. Then I moved back in with my wife. Um, so what is it like now? Um, believe it or not, my family are all back. And trust me, because I've been accountable and responsible. I'm trusted with my grandchildren. I've got five grandchildren. I take the three-year-old skating. Nobody bats an eye, which is amazing. Um, I'm responsible, I'm accountable, I do, uh, I'm on time when I say um, I'm there. Um, I do Zoom five, six nights a week, which keeps, is great. Um, what do I have to watch for? Okay, there's somebody at the back of my head who I have to be damn careful for, because I had many years of alcohol as a friend. I'm five and a half years sober. I still don't know if I've fully grieved the loss of that friend. So my 
focus now when I get these that bugger talking to me is I have to play the tape forward right I play this game with myself uh, how long I call it how long how long would it be before your wife gets suspicious because your behaviour changes how long is it going to be before she smells it on your breath how long is it going to be before she finds your fifth, first ball hidden in the house how long, how long, how long that's my play my tape forward that helps me keep sober obviously totally committed to A I'm no longer after three after three years I got off of medication slowly I'm no longer on medication it did help me it was part of my process of getting, getting sober and getting safe it did help me I still see a therapist on a regular basis Right, because I I still want that. Um, I I I do like I say I do Zoom a lot. I'm still not. Um, I'm grateful I'm sober. I'm grateful that everything I've got this sobriety has given me. I hear sometimes that people say I'm a grateful alcoholic. I'll never say that. I'm grateful for what sobriety gives me. I, don't, I certainly don't call Amy AA Nazis. I don't think Amy's a cult. I think secular AA is phenomenal. Um, I still occasionally go to traditional AA. That's fine. I don't, doesn't bother me. Everybody's got a path to sobriety. My path is maybe different from others. So what? It's no big deal. So uh, that's kind of where I am. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's being... A crazy, it's been a crazy journey, crazy journey, and uh, it's. Uh, I am so, so glad I'm sober now and have the benefits of the sobriety and the work. But for me, it's, I think it's always going to be work. I don't think I could ever let my guard down. I, if I let my guard down, it'd be too freaking dangerous. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Thank you very much for Mark. And I hope you didn't need subtitles for anything I said. I tried to keep it as much kind of, as Scottish English as I can. <laughs> I always think it's funny when you see Scottish people getting interviewed in the TV and the British TV. They've usually got subtitles below there. It's always funny. Anyway, good to see you all. Enough of my rambling. <laughs>